Good morning, church. How are you going? You good? Good. Um, we're continuing on with our Life of Peter series this morning. And uh, if you weren't here last week, that's okay because they're kind of going to go each week. They, uh, there'll be a segment of their own and it's good to know the whole series, but you won't miss out if you're brand new. So that's fine. And um, an interesting guy, Peter, he's actually the second most mentioned person in the New Testament, only second to Jesus. So he's a pretty important guy. If you read a lot of his stories, you'll find he's a real wild card. He's uh, got a temper. He says things that he probably shouldn't sometimes. And uh, he's a real, I don't know, a tough guy. He's cut off people's ears and things like that. He's, um, but he was a real normal guy as well. Um, a lot of people don't know that he was married. He was uh, a married man. He had children. He was a business owner, so he's not just the only job he had was to be a wonderful apostle. He was a really normal guy, and um, so he had married, kids, business owner, and today I just want to have a look at uh, three different parts of Peter's life and to look at the importance of the power of our confession. Um, when I say confession this morning, I'm not talking about going to a priest and telling him all the things that you've done wrong. I, I mean, the thing that you know, that you know, that you know. And um, last, uh, last time I spoke was two weeks ago, and I went with a really um, 90s R&B theme of church mix a lot. I'm going to continue on with that 90s R&B. Oh, I think this is about 2000s, but this one, if you're taking notes this morning, it is called This Is My Confession. And if anyone's humming along um, the little song in the head, stop now because it's not a great song. But anyway, anyway, I have a confession. Uh, before I, oh, I have one totally out of the, um, totally out of the sermon confession. I forgot to pick up the calendars yesterday, everyone. So if anyone's thinking, where's the calendars out there? Blame me. I didn't pick them up. I'm sorry. I was prepping. I know, I'll put it up online. Anyway, back to the message. I have a confession. Before I met my, um, or my wonderful husband, uh, I dated an American. That's my confession. And, uh, and there was a time, like I would go back and forth and back and forth. And I not only dated an American, I dated a Southern American from the deep south of South Carolina. And uh, there was one summer that I was staying over there and one morning uh, Mrs. Poston came up to my room and she knocked on the door and said, Jessica, um, and she informed me of some important information. She was the president of the Myrtle Beach, South Carolina Women's Association. I said, that's wonderful. That's really good. And uh, she then further let me know that every year they have a luncheon. That's that's really great, Mrs. Poston. Thank you for that information. And then she, she continued to tell me that that luncheon was today. I thought, oh, fantastic. I, I'll have the house to myself. She can go out, do her luncheon, whatever. And she said, oh, no, 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 it's a, it's a mother-daughter luncheon. And I said, oh, well, you and Catherine will have a wonderful time. I'm absolutely sure of it. She goes, no, no, you're coming. I said, no, I'll stay here. I'll look after the house. She goes, yeah, it's here. And I went, oh, fantastic, great. So no getting out of that. And, um, 
And then she, I, I thought, all right, fine, I'll go to her little luncheon. And I thought, I'll just go incognito. I'll just, I'll walk downstairs late. Everyone will be there. I'll just be able to just go under the radar. Anyway, that plan was totally blown when I walked downstairs in my jeans and T-shirt and every other woman there was dressed head to toe in floral. And, um, and I just thought, oh, great, cover's blown. I am anything but a southern belle, and it showed. And so, anyway, that was blown. Everyone knew I was there, and I was definitely out of place at the mother-daughter luncheon of South Carolina Myrtle Beach Women's Association. And... Uh, Halfway through the luncheon, I just see all the women moving into the, the big lounge room. I thought, oh, okay, what, what's happening? And, um, and so I go in and take a back seat, and I see Mrs. Post, and she gets up to start doing whatever they're doing. I don't, I don't know. I'm not paying attention too much. But, um, and then she proceeds with this speech about, well, we all know that... Um, we have our annual mother-daughter luncheon and uh, the tradition that we like to keep is that um, the mother and the daughter get up and tell everybody what that person means to each other. I thought, oh my gosh, this is getting worse. And so I kind of just put my head down and just thought, oh, I don't know how long this is going to be. And to my horror, I hear Miss Jessica. I thought, oh Lord, let there be another Miss Jessica in this room. Miss Jessica, how about you come up and go first? And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to go first. You know, my mum, and I horribly bluffed my way through this mother-daughter presentation of what this person meant to me. I'm like, she's a lovely lady. She's put me up, and it was horrible. And um, Peter, in this first story that we're about to have a look at, was in a very similar situation, except he had a way better answer than I did. And um, I tell you that because we've all at one time been put on the spot and been told to speak at least something, and that was my most memorable, horrible one. And um, today we're going to look at three different places in Peter's life where that relates to his confession. And so for those who are taking notes and like to know how to lay out their page, there's three different stages, and under that we're going to do different points. But the first one that we want to have a look at is that Peter needed to make his confession. And we're going to pick up the story in Matthew 16. And Jesus and his disciples had actually been uh, ministering for three days straight and uh, there'd been a lot of miracles. Jesus had healed a lot of sick. It said he healed everyone. Uh, blind eyes were open. Lame people were restored. And it's there that he um, it was the event of he fed the 4,000 people there. And then they had traveled. And this is where we pick up the story. And it says in Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are the people saying the Son of Man is? In other words, what do people say about me? And they replied and said, well, some think he's John the Baptist. And some say Elijah and some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And he pressed them and said, well, how about you? What do you say I am? It was the Miss Jessica thing happening all over again. What do you say I am? And these guys had been with Jesus for two and a half years at this stage. 
And 11 of them knew the opinions of others, but only one person spoke up and said what he knew, and it's Peter. And he goes on in in verse 16 and says, well, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus came back and said, God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of the books or from teachers. My father in heaven, God himself, let you in on this secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put my church together. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any door, any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. And a yes on, he- a yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. I'm sure Peter did not expect that when he, when he s- answered Jesus. Amazing piece of scripture and such a small little few verses, but gives us such great insight into the power of our confession of who Jesus is and the power of knowing who Jesus is. See, firstly, Jesus shows us in this piece of scripture is that knowing Jesus cannot be taught, but it needs to be revealed by the Father. I could stand up here all day and tell you everything I know about Jesus but it would never change your life unless it was revealed to you in your spirit. He said, well done, Peter, because no one taught you that. Only my father revealed it. The second thing Jesus tells us here is that when you find out who Jesus is, you'll find out who you are. Peter, Peter just was giving his answer, the one that flooded out of his heart. And in return, Jesus says, and now I'm going to tell you who you really are. Incredible. Our world has it totally differently. It's find yourself. Go find yourself. Self-help, find yourself, and then see where Jesus fits in with that. But Jesus is telling us a totally contrary truth here that if you find out who I am, if you find out who I want to be in your life, you will never, ever have to question who you are again. Because who else is better to tell you who you are than the one who created you? He knows us inside and out. You want to know who you are and what you're created for? Find out who Jesus is. And I love that the moment Peter gave the answer, Jesus didn't just go, well done, and leave it at that. He goes above and beyond. Jesus always goes above and beyond. He gave him a new name and a new mission. See, we learned last week that when Jesus first met Simon Peter, Jesus said, hey, I see you in the boat and your name's Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter. But now he's not just saying, I'm going to call you Peter. He's saying, you are Peter. It's not just by name anymore. It's going to be by nature. And the incredible thing about that is that the meaning of Simon is it's like a flickering reed. It can be blown which way, and, 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 it's, and it, the name in Hebrew was, it was a weak thing. It, it wasn't strong. It was any opinion that came along, it would just blow in the wind. But Peter meant rock. 
And he's saying by nature and by the very person who you are anymore, you won't be tossed around by the opinions of men. When people ask who do, who do people say I am, you won't even bother. You can go, I know who you are. And on this rock I'll build my church, Jesus said. And if we take another look at this passage, and um, I love that there's, there's so many truths about the Bible that we could quickly miss. And uh, Luke and I were talking about this this week and how often we miss things because we don't know what, they, uh, what they're trying to get across. But it says they were in the region of Caesarea Philippi. Excuse me if anyone's a proper pronunciation person. We're going with that this morning. All right. It's probably the last time I have to say it, so that's fine. It's an easy detail to miss about this region because this region was actually a region for pagan worship. Jesus took them from the mountainside where they'd been ministering and where there was great anointing and great miracles happening and they walked to a place where it was a central pagan worship place of this region. Every year, um, people would bring their spices and they would come and offer them to Baal in the temple of, of this place. And it was, it was so humanistic and it was so, it, the whole city was built to worship uh, pagan gods and other gods and people trying to find out the truth. But the interesting thing about this city was it was actually built out of the biggest rock face in that, in that region. He's standing, Jesus is standing with his disciples on the biggest rock face that has actually been carved and built. And they even made big holes in the rock to make the temples inside the rock where all these people are coming to that rock and they're coming to worship that rock and bringing that offering to the rock that they can see that's so magnificent. Jesus turns around to Peter and goes, you know what, while I'm standing on the rock, everyone else seems to be coming to because they think it holds the answers. I'm going to build my church on the rock of that confession that I'm the Messiah, that no one can see it, but only it can be revealed. And he took them to this place to make this point that you can look around the world and everyone's looking for answers, but it's only on the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Messiah, that anything in our life will ever stand. Otherwise, we'll be like the flickering reed blown around with every idea and every opinion. But it's the rock of Jesus Christ that our life can be built upon. Who do you say Jesus is? If your name was called upon, who do you say Jesus is? Do you have an answer this morning that's, that's beating in your heart? Or do you just have the opinions of others? The second part, the second place that Peter found his confession, so the first place he needed to make his confession, the second place that he found his life at some stage was he needed to learn how to live his confession. And uh, this is so much harder to do than it is to say. I have learnt this um, the hard way this week as, as well. And, but as we follow Peter's life after his confession, we begin to realise that confessing Jesus as Christ is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. It's a great beginning. It's the best beginning we could ask for, but it's just the beginning. And as we do so many times, Peter found it difficult to come to terms 
with Jesus being the Messiah actually in his life. He was okay with knowing the answer, but when that actually had to be lived out, it was a little bit more difficult. We see just in a few um, scriptures down from his wonderful confession, we see Peter turn around when Jesus tells him the plan. He says, no, that's not going to happen. And how often do we do that? Jesus, your Lord, I'll stand with arms open, but I'll tell you how it's going to go. And we see in Matthew 21, just a few chapters on from there, it says, um, Then Jesus made it clear to his disciples that it was now necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, submit to an ordeal of suffering at the hands of the religious leaders, be killed, and then on the third day be raised up alive. Peter took him in hand, protesting, Impossible, Master, that can never be. It's almost like Peter was going, "Um, Jesus, I know all the 11 guys got the answer wrong, but I got the answer right back there. So maybe you you should discuss this with me first, because I think we could come up with a better plan. Like Jesus had just told God's insane plan to save the world and, and Peter thinks he knows better. But 23, Jesus says, but Jesus didn't swerve. Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. Then Jesus went to work on his disciples and he said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. It is one thing for Peter to make that confession of who Jesus was. It's another thing to go, all right, if you're really the saviour, here you go. You lead. And I wonder if you're in that place today where it's okay to say he's the saviour, but you take back control over the areas where you're just not sure if he knows what's going on there. Peter kept learning this lesson. Jesus, in a few chapters on, said, Peter, before the morning comes, you're actually going to deny me three times. Peter says, no. No, I'm not. I mean, I'll die before that happens. And lo and behold, it happened. And I've learnt this the hard way on a lot of times, that God knows better than me. But you know one of the hardest things to let God, why it's so hard to let God lead? Because all these plans sound stupid. They don't make sense. And so you kind of think, oh, hang on. I think you've got it wrong, Jesus. I think you've got it wrong. And this plan of Jesus dying would have sounded absurd to Peter. His his friend, his teacher, the one that he loved was going to die. Surely there could be a better way. It sounded absurd and absolutely crazy. But if you know the truth about Jesus, and there's a scripture in the Bible that says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But I love that a thing that my, pa- my old pastor used to say, and he'd say that the truth only sets you free if you're willing to abide by the truth that you know. The truth only sets you free if you're willing to abide by the truth that you know. And I wonder today if there's areas in your life that you need to give over control to, to Jesus. Is there relationships that... Jesus is like, hey, let me lead here. That is going to end badly. 
other habits, occupation decisions, where everyone would go, that would be a terrible career move, but Jesus might be going, no, come on, make this decision, trust me, trust me. Are are there finances, the way that you speak, living situations, company that you keep? Is there areas where God's going, would you let me lead? If your confession is that I'm Savior, would you let me save you? And Peter definitely learned this lesson because in 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16, Peter finally writes, So roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing whatever you feel like. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. Is it time, are you in that stage that Peter once found himself in where you need to start living out your confession? Does your life represent that Jesus is leading it? To live your confession. The third The third area we see uh, Peter in his confession is, um, and he's feeling sorry for himself, but this hope is um, he finds that he needs to regain his confession. In all that was going on, Jesus being taken off to be killed and all all the things that were happening and Peter denying Jesus three times, losing his confession, Jesus said that would happen. He said, you're going to deny me. And Jesus said to pray for him. He said, don't pray for me. It's not going to happen. But lo and behold, three times Peter was asked, do you know him? No. Do you know him? No. Do you know him? And he even, like, he amped it up a little. It says he started swearing at them. And so it really looked like he wasn't with Jesus. And um, good one, Pete. Anyway, he um, denies him three times. He's literally lost his confession. Aren't you one of them? No, I I don't know him. And after Peter realizes that Jesus was actually dead, how stupid he must have felt. I I thought he was the savior. I thought he he was going to save the world. I thought he was going to bring restoration back to the kingdom. That was a stupid thing for me to say. Super dead, that's what he is. How, how stupid he must have felt about his confession when everything else looked contrary to what his confession was, that he was the saviour and now he's dead and now he's denied him three times. And then we see in John 21, we see Peter just goes, sitting around moping and he says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing and that might sound like a very normal thing to do if, if you wanted some peace and quiet. But there was something significant about this for Peter. Because he wasn't just going fishing. He was going back. When Jesus first met Peter, he was in a boat and he says, Hey, Peter, I see that you're a fisherman, but I've got more for you. Come on, I've got, I've got more for you. Come and follow me. I've got more for your life. Come out of it. You're never going to fish for fish again. You're going to fish for men now and you're going you're to be a follower of me. We've got more to do. 
And the moment he loses his confession, where does he, he's going straight back to the life Jesus called him out of. He says, I'm going back. Obviously, none of it was true. Obviously, there's no hope. And you see, all the others said, yeah, we're going too. Do you know your confession has power over people? What what were they all doing on the boat? They all weren't fishermen. What was Matthew doing? He was a tax collector. What's he doing fishing? Your confession influences people around you. And in Matthew 4.19, Jesus had already called him out of the boat. And now we see in John 21, Peter's back in the boat. And it says he had worked all night and caught nothing. And we see John 21, verses 3 to 9. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. This is him resurrected. Uh, But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out and said, friends, have you any fish? In other words, how's that going back to that lifestyle working out for you? Got any fish out there? Anything good coming from that? How's your life doing? And they call back, nothing. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. I wonder if the net was even on the left. I wonder if he's saying, hey, time to get your confession right again. Throw it on the right side and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John writing, it's John's book. He's a bit puffed up. Said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say that, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him for he'd taken them off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the nets full of fish for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. We don't know what took place with the conversation and the moment Peter got to the beach. But we know that there was an urgency in Peter's heart to get out of that boat. Almost like, I never want to be here again. This is the last night I'll spend on this boat. The moment he saw who Jesus was again. And we see that Jesus cooks them breakfast and he looks after them and, and he, just, uh, he just takes care of them. He says, come on, friends, I'll cook you breakfast. But then we get let in to a conversation between Peter and Jesus. And it says, while they were sitting there, no one dare ask who he was because they knew he was the Lord. And then he turns to Peter and he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter, you know I love you, Lord. You know I love you. He says, well, feed my sheep. Okay, Lord, yeah, I I remember back at that rock when you said that you're going to build your church. I remember, I'll I'll feed the sheep. I'm going to pass to that church. He says, Peter, do you love me a second time? But he's like, Lord, yes, I love you. I, I love you so much. You know that. He says, all right, we'll we'll look after my sheep. 
Yeah, Jesus, I'll look after your sheep. I remember back at the rock when you gave me a new name and you gave me a new mission. And then the third time Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And it says in the Bible that Peter at that moment was grieved. I wonder if he remembered the third time that he denied Jesus. But Jesus wasn't saying it to bring shame to him. He was saying it to restore him right back to the place that he had him. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Not do you love me? Well, you shouldn't have said what you said back there. I really needed a pal. (laughs) Feed my sheep. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you've fallen. I don't care whether you're back in the boat. I don't care that you've lost your confession. Your name stays the same and your mission stays the same and my love for you stays the same. And he's calling him back and going, you're the rock. You're the rock. The confession of Jesus Christ is the Lord and feed my sheep, feed them. Look after my church. I'll build my church on that. The rock that Jesus Christ is Saviour and he restores him there on the beach. The mission didn't change because of his bad behaviour. Jesus believed in him as much as he did the first day he saw him in the boat. And just as he saw him in the first day and said, follow me, Jesus' last words to Peter, follow me, follow me. And I wonder if there's been something that's happened in your life, some tragedy, some hurt, some circumstance that turned out so terrible that it's caused you to lose sight of who Jesus really is. And it's caused you, I'm going back. I tried that Jesus thing. I tried that trusting him. And look what happened. Something that's caused you to lose your confession. It could just be laziness. It could just be looking to the other rock. Where, oh wow, look at all, all the things that this rock has to offer. But I want you to know this morning that if you've lost your confession, Jesus is not here to shame you. He's here to restore you. He's here to restore you. If your confession about Jesus doesn't bring hope, then I'm here to tell you, you don't have the right confession yet. You don't have the right confession yet. Because Jesus, and if your picture of Jesus doesn't cause joy, if it doesn't cause radical hope, if it doesn't spur on faith, if it doesn't lift burdens, if it doesn't break chains, if it doesn't give you a bigger picture, then you're not seeing him clearly yet. Maybe you're still seeing him through the opinions of others. What do other people say about Jesus? Or maybe you're seeing him through a circumstance where you were so hurt and you just thought, no God who loves me could ever let that happen. Or maybe the church you grew up in, or maybe your family you grew up in, you're still seeing him through those circumstances. But I tell you, if you see Jesus, you'll know hope. You'll know hope and it won't be tainted and it won't look like, oh, but I've got to jump through these hoops. He will just call your name the same way he's been calling your name for years upon years upon years, the same way he called your name when he created you. He calls you today and says, who do you say that I am? He's still asking every single soul, every single heart that he's ever come across. Who do you say that I am? Because there's power in that. Because your confession will dictate your direction.
In a, in a court of law, confessions either bring freedom or they bind people up. And so does your confession about Jesus. Get it right and it brings the, the f- most freedom you've ever known in your whole life. Get it wrong and you'll be bound by religion. You'll be bound by all the hoops that you need to go through. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much. And he still says today, who do you say that I am? And I love that it's not a trick question. Because he says in Matthew 7, 7, he says, keep asking. You'll receive what you ask ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. He is not trying to trick you this morning. If you, wanna, if you don't know who he is and you want to ask, who are you, Jesus? He'll show up. If you need strength to live out your confession, keep asking, he'll show up. If you need to regain your confession, keep asking, he'll show up. Because he is the same as he was when he met Peter on that beach. It's the same as he is today and he'll forever be the same. The Jesus that loves you, the Jesus that died for you, the Saviour and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen. Just as the band come, I'd love to pray for you guys. And Joel, if you want to come, I don't know what you want to do. But um, I pray that you would be moved, not by emotion or anything like that, but to know the power of your confession says, your words bring life or death, and they do. You get who Jesus is right, and you'll see your life completely come alive. Get it wrong, and you'll be bound forever. Only Jesus brings freedom, and only Jesus brings true hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I thank you that he is the Messiah, the Saviour. And Lord, I pray for every heart that is searching you out this morning. I pray you show up. Show up in the most real way. Answer as they knock. Father, for those people who need strength to keep living out, that you are the Lord and Savior of their life. Father, I pray that you give abundant strength to them. And Lord, for those people who somewhere along the way have lost their confession, I pray that your love would just flood over them this morning, that no ounce of shame or guilt would ever be there, but only your love calling us all into your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.